I made up all the time. And I, and I say that to say this, not to, not to toot my own horn. Um, although maybe there's a little bit of that. Diz Runs Radio, episode 1191 starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 it is once again that time of the month, that time where you ask, I answer. Let's let's do a little listener Q&A, shall we? Uh, if you're new around here, this is something that we do at the end of each month. The last Friday of every month is dedicated to your questions, my answers, usually a whole lot of tomfoolery mixed in there as well. And if you uh, ultimately have a question that you'd like to get answered somewhere in the future, uh, you can send me the questions any old which way that you want. You know, send a carrier pigeon, send it, send them via DM on the on the social medias. Uh, shoot me an email. But the best way, the surest way to make sure that your question doesn't get lost in the shuffle, is to join the Facebook group. We've got our own little private Facebook group, little own little corner of uh, the book of faces that I like to think is pretty good. You know, like like you know, not trying to be cocky and not saying that we've we've achieved it yet. But the goal is to be the best running group on Facebook. Again, I think we're, I think we're on, on the track of being there. Um, but if you want to join another Facebook group and Lord knows we all need to join another Facebook group or two, uh, slash Facebook is the link that'll get you there. You can also just search for the Dizruns tribe anytime that you're scrolling through Facebook and uh, click to join. We'll let you in. And then, uh, you know, just don't, don't be a douche. You know, that, that's like our one rule. Don't be a douche. So if you're not a douche, we'll let you stay, have some fun, crack some jokes. And somewhere around the middle of the month, I put a post out that says, Hey, what are your questions for this month's Q and a, you put your questions in the comments and then bada boom, bada bam through the magic of recording technology. We have our questions for the Q and a, and I answer them right here, right now. That's what we've got going on today. So join the Facebook group is the moral of that story. We have some fun and you can get your questions answered. Um, once again, disruns.com slash Facebook is a direct link or just on the on the Facebooks, search for Disruns Tribe and then uh, click to join and come on in. And let's have a good time. So today we got uh, we got some questions. Like I said, that's that's what this episode is all about. So without any further idea, idea, uh, without any further ado, let's let's get to the questions. First question from Lewis. And he sets it up. He sets the table beautifully. Nonsense question. So yeah, let's let's start with nonsense. That's that's always a good way to kick things off around here. Did you watch the track and field world championships as well as the Diamond League finals? What do you have to say about them? Ha! Clearly, Lewis, you're just you're just searching for a reaction. I'm going to do my best to not give you what you're looking for. Nope, didn't watch them. Nope, don't have anything to say about them. Serious question also from Lewis. Over the fall and winter, I plan on working the slowest mile in my runs, which is my second mile. Can you please tell me as to why it's the slowest and what I can do to speed it up? Um, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 there, there could be a few factors. I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, how, how long these runs are. You know, are, are your runs always the same distance? Are they always three miles? And, and, and the reason I pick three is because I wonder if there's a little bit of like, you know, in the first mile, like you're just getting out and you're getting going. So, you, you know, full of, full of, you know, pep, 
just just getting getting after it. Uh, the third mile, you know, you're like, all right, I'm almost done. So like kind of speed it on home a little bit. And so there's just like kind of a natural lag where, where the second mile is the middle mile. So it's kind of always the, the slowest because you're not just getting started. You're not sensing the finish line. So maybe there's that. Um, but if, if your runs are, are varying distances and it's always kind of just the slowest mile, I mean, I don't know. Like, who cares? Like, ultimately, like, so what? Right? Uh, maybe on race day that matters. But, you know, on Tuesday, like, it doesn't matter. Um, and so I don't know. I don't know what you would need. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what to do to speed it up. Maybe it's maybe it's just a, a, a matter of, I mean, shoot, maybe it's a matter of terrain, right? Like, I don't know what my slowest mile tends to be in my neighborhood. But I would, I would be pretty confident in guessing that whatever my, my typical slowest mile is, it's the one where, you know, like the, the biggest couple of hills are, um, you know, cause I run the same route pretty much every, every time I run through the neighborhood. And, you know, if there happens like, like in, in my neighborhood, you know, as I may have mentioned once or twice in the last year plus that we've been living in Georgia, a fair bit hillier than it was in Florida. And I don't know if there's, if there's a, a mile through the route that I do that runs like there's like five, four or five pretty, I mean, they're not like massive mountain hills, but like pretty steep hills in our, in our little neighborhood in my six mile loop. Right. And so if, if two or three of them happen to be in the same one mile segment that I run, I mean, that's probably my slowest mile or else my slowest mile is where, you know, the, the times when the dogs have the kind of their spot where they tend to stop and go to the bathroom and I don't pause my watch. So that's gonna be my slowest mile. So all that, all that said, you know, is there's, is there some like external factor that makes mile two your slowest run? Is it, is it always uphill? Is it the, is it, if you are only quote unquote, only doing three miles, um, or maybe you're doing four, but that second mile involves a turnaround. So like, you know, you, you're, you're running, you're cruising, but then you got to stop and turn around. So like, maybe you walk a couple steps there. I wouldn't blame you if you did. There's no, there's no harm in that. Um, but you know, that, that couple of steps of walk, turn around, maybe that messes up with the, the signals of the, of the, the watch to your satellite. Um, and so you just get, get credit for that mile being 10 seconds slower. Like, I don't know. Um, but, but I, I mean, I, it's not like there's some physiological explanation of why, well, my first run is always going to be fastest. And then my second mile is always going to be slowest. And then no matter how far I'm running, whether it's five miles, eight miles, 25 miles, whatever, like I'm just always going to be like, there's no, I don't know. So, so I don't know. It's probably just some little fluky thing. Probably, probably dare I say you're analyzing your data too much and it doesn't matter. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it. And I certainly wouldn't like, I wouldn't, I'm not saying you can't, or you shouldn't. I, the last thing I'd be doing over the fall and winter is being like, I'm going to work on mile two. Like, I mean, maybe it's a pacing issue. Maybe you go out too fast. You know, maybe you need to run the first mile slower and that solves the second mile problem. I don't know. Um, but I, I wouldn't, I, I, you know, sometimes if you look hard enough for a problem, you find one like this feels like one of those manufactured problems that like. Eh, there's really nothing there. Don't worry too much about it. But, but that's just my, th- my take. And again, it, it, there's a lot of, ultimately there's a lot of variables at play that like, you know, could, could give some level of logical explanation. I tried to walk through a few of them, but there's probably a dozen others. Um, but again, probably not something to worry too much about, especially if it's not like markedly, like if it's always four seconds per mile slower, like, so, so what? So what? Anyway, Lewis, as always, thanks for the questions, my friend. Next question from Corinne, still working on my 50 States goal, which leads me to several back-to-back weekends with races advice for training during the weekdays while also recovering from travel and racing. Thanks. And as always, Corinne, you're, you're welcome. And, um, you know, I think this is, this is one of those, those questions where, um, if I'm, if I'm understanding it correctly, 
you've got a race on Saturday or Sunday, then you've got a week in the middle and then a race the next weekend, trying to get some of these other States, things like that. Um, and so what do you do? What do you do in between? And I think, I think the, the, the main thing is, is rest recover. Um, I mean, I think, I think that if you're, if you're doing this, this race every weekend and, and maybe it depends a little bit on the distance and, and forgive me, I can't remember if you're 50 state marathon, just 50 states in general, half marathon, whatever the case might be. But like, if you're, if it's a half marathon or a marathon and you're, you're like racing it hard, you're, there's really not, I don't want to say there's not room for, but there's, there's almost not room for training in that week in between. Like that, that week should be all about recovering, especially if you're traveling, if you're going one state, this week, back home, another state next week. Um, you know, you got a couple of travel days in there, probably got to work a little bit at some point, um, or see your family or do, you know, whatever, whatever you got life in there a little bit. Um, there, there's not really any training gains that you're going to, there, there are no training gains that you're going to make between races. Even if you come out of the first race feeling fresh as a daisy and not tired, not beat up at all. Like you're not going to, you're not going to get a speed workout on on Wednesday and have that benefit you on Saturday for the next race. Right. So I wouldn't worry about training at all. Maybe do a little cross training, maybe go for a walk or a hike, get on the bike, something like that. Get a, get a swim. If you've got a place to swim, um, you know, could you go for a little run? Sure. You could, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, but I wouldn't look at it as like a workout as proper training. It's just like a, a recovery run, an easy run, right? Just a few miles. Because if, if you, if you raced this weekend and you're racing again next weekend, uh, assuming no injuries and no major issues coming out of the first race, like your fitness is there. We just need to recover enough so that you can run again the next one. That also presupposes that you're racing the races, meaning, you know, you're not just running them for fun. You're not doing like, if it's a half marathon, just keeping it simple. It doesn't even matter if it's a half marathon, full marathon, whatever the distance is, you're not just cruising along, having a good time, stopping for photos, laughing, chatting, just chilling, logging the miles at a relatively low intensity. Um, because if you're doing that, then in theory, I mean, there's still going to be some recovery, especially if it's, you know, if it is like a, a, a distance that's a stretch for you, you know, which could be a half marathon, could be a marathon, depends on, on fitness and all those types of things. Um, there's going to be some recovery, but the recovery is going to be pretty, pretty low key if you, if you're not pushing the effort too much. So, so then it is just about getting some sleep, getting, getting, you know, replacing hydrate, uh, you know, nutrition, hydration, things like eating well. Uh, giving your body those those nutrients and then be ready to go again the next weekend. But but again, I wouldn't worry about training in between. I'd, I'd worry more about life and recovery, resting, cross training, maybe a couple easy miles, some some easy some yoga things like that, recovery type of of activities. Um, but yeah, when you when you're racing too frequently, not not saying that you're racing too frequently, but when you when anyone is racing frequently, you can't do a lot of training in between because that that time needs to be dedicated to recovery. And then, you know, getting ready for the next race. So yeah, with back-to-back weekends is doable. And, and I mean, I've, I've PR'd marathons back-to-back weekends. Um, I don't know that I recommend that. I don't think that's necessarily the best strategy to PR a marathon, but I've done it. Um, but I didn't do anything in between. Like I maybe rode the bike a little bit, uh, but mostly I was just focused on sleeping, recovering, getting ready for the next race mentally. Um, and there was no, there were no training miles in that, in that week between. And so, so I think that that's, that's the key. Less is more when it comes to running between two race weekends that are, you know, consecutive weekends. So hopefully that helps you, but, uh, you know, the big thing, keep showing up, keep putting the foot in front of the other. And, uh, no doubts you're going to beat me to the 50 state finish line, but Hey, you know, that's not a race, right? Like that's just, that's just a goal we're, we're both working towards and glad that you're making progress towards it. 
something that maybe I should get back to doing as well. But thanks for the question, my lady. Hope things are well for you. Next question from Stephanie. I'm not real interested in racing um, for all the re- kind of reasons that are unrelated to running, kids' sports, activities, things like that. Uh, however, I am still competitive with myself, and I'm also quite interested in continuing to improve my running and overall fitness. What does this look like for someone that doesn't have a specific goal or race in mind? Sorry if this question is too vague. No, I mean, it's a, it's a vague question, Stephanie, but I think it's a great question, and I think it's probably something that, that there's a fair few of us that, I don't know, that are struggling with, but at least at least gas, grasping with, gr- grappling with. Um, because, because I, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. I want to keep running. I want to get better at running, but what does that look like? How do I, how do I create a, a goal, um, to know if I'm on track, right? Because, because if, if, if the goal is I want to, I want to improve my running and fitness, like, okay, but like we need some, some metrics, right? We need some, some tangible ways to, to nail that down, to, to gauge progress. And for a lot of runners, which, which is probably why you're struggling with this a little bit. A lot of runners, we, we do that by race goals, right? Like, like I'm going to run, I'm going to try to PR this 5k or I'm going to try to PR this half marathon or I'm going to run my first marathon. And that means that my fitness is getting, is, is improving because I'm running longer than I've literally ever run before. Um, but for you, what does that look like? And I don't, I don't know that I can, I can specifically answer the question, but I'll try to give you some, some suggestions or some, some ideas um, because ultimately, you know, like this, 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 to me, at least the answer comes down to settling on some goals and, and what those goals look like for me to tell you, this is what the goal is. That doesn't, that doesn't register, right? Like you've got to be like, you've got to be bought in you, Stephanie, but obviously anybody, wh- whether we're talking to specific running goals, maybe you have race goals, but you have other health and fitness goals you're working towards. Like we got it. We got to make them somewhat tangible so that we know, we know if we're making progress on them. Right. So it could be something as simple as you know, things like volume goals. I want to run, you know, I want to run a hundred miles in a month. I want to run 70 miles in a month. I want to run 150 miles in a month, whatever it might be that, that, that presupposes that to be successful with that, you've got to be consistent, right? If you're running three days a week, four days a week, whatever, you know, you got to, you got to get out and get your miles in. Don't have to be perfect. You know, you don't, you don't want to make your goal where it's like, I can never miss a run. And not only can I never miss a run, but I can never be like a quarter of a mile short of what I plan to do each day. Like give yourself some wiggle room, but you know, if, if you're typically running, um, 30 miles a week. So, you know, on a, a typical, typical month has at least four weeks, that would be 120 miles in a month. Say, so then your goal is hundred miles in the month gives you a little wiggle room. Um, but it, it ensures that you got to be consistent, right? You can't take, you can't probably take a week off, um, and be in a good position to still hit that, that hundred mile month without having to really make it up somewhere. So, so you do something like that, that you can kind of track and maybe over time you go, all right, that hundred miles is getting pretty easy. I don't feel like I'm working quite as hard. Let's make it 110 miles or 115 miles, or let's, you know, look at the, the year and go, all right, 1200, but hundred miles a month, isn't that much. So I want to go 1300 miles this month, whatever the case may be, you have some type of volume, volume goal. Those aren't always my favorite goals, but when you're not hammering races, you're not like having one of those specific goals, that type of consistency can be massive. And certainly, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in the value of consistency, improving your running fitness and overall fitness. So that'd be something that, you know, if you can be consistent year to year, you know, two, three, four years down the road, maybe the kids are, are growing up a little bit more. Maybe you find yourself falling back into racing and, and trying to push yourself that way. You'd have a great, a great base in place, certainly improved fitness from where you are now. Um, and then you could dive into to race goals if that floated your boat down the, down the line. Um, you could also look at, at, you know, some type of, of specific workout 
which which maybe this blurs the line too much with racing in terms of being pace focused things like that. In which case, if it does, you know, disregard this one. But you know, you could you could have a certain route that you run once a month or once every six weeks or whatever it is where, you know, you, you map it out from your house or from wherever you run. And, and it's always, it's always the same every, every time you do it. And you kind of use that as, as a time trial. You use that as, as your own race against yourself, competitive, competing against yourself to see if, all right, last time it took me whatever, 32 minutes to run this, this, you know, three and a half mile loop, Again, making up numbers, of course, but you, you get the, you get the gist. So last time it took me 32 minutes flat, you know, Six weeks from now, you've been running, you've been consistent, maybe mixing a speed workout here or there. Now I'm doing it in, in 31.15. All right, there we go. We knocked 45 seconds off the time. You know, whatever, that's, that's 10, 10 and a half seconds per mile or 10, 12 seconds per mile, something like that. That's pretty legitimate progress. And then, all right, so let's keep training. Let's be consistent. Do this again six weeks from now, eight weeks from now, you know, and, and just kind of keep gauging the progress on this very specific route so that it's not like, oh, this route was hillier and this route was flatter. Like, no, no, no. Same route, same direction, same everything. Try to do it as, as you know, minimize as, as many variables as possible. So it's just gauging how is your fitness improving. Um, you know, like, like so, so you have, you, you can do it just within a, within a workout. You know, I, I know I've got some, some athletes that I coach that are, that are, love, love them, love them. They're into their data. You know, they're, they're always analyzing their data. And I'm trying not to say any names or any, any identifying information, but they know who I'm talking about. And there's multiples. So if you, if you think I'm talking about you, I am. But you're not the only one. Um, but, but, you know, they'll look back at, all right, well, we've done this, this workout, you know, six times over the last eight months, like this sp- specific particular workout in terms of like interval durations or whatever the case might be. So they go back and kind of compare those metrics. Like, you know, if it's, if it's five, five reps by five minute intervals or something like that, which is a workout I don't think I've ever given anybody. So that means it's again, it's a, it's a safe one. We're not identifying anybody there, but we look at five, five reps by five minutes. Um, and they look back and go, all right, for the, for the, the first time I did it, my, my pace, you know, between the first repeat and the last repeat fell off by 40 seconds per mile or whatever, which, which if you're running them hard, I mean, that that's, that's not bad. Uh, but then the, the most recent time I did it after six months and I've done the workout five times or whatever, my pace only fell off by 18 seconds between the first one, first split and the last split. So running stronger, maintaining me, my, my intensity throughout the course of the workouts. You could look at something like that. I mean, shoot, you could, you could look at, at metrics like, um, you know, body fat percentage. If that's, if that's, and I'm not trying to say lose weight, but like that, that was a goal that maybe that you could look at that as something that you're improving your running overall fitness. That way you could look at strength metrics, you know, how long can you hold a plank? How many push-ups can you do? How many pull-ups can you do? Um, which again, wouldn't be specific running metric, but overall fitness. Sure. And also, Oh, by the way, if you're getting stronger physically, is that probably helping you running? Sure. So, so all that said, Hopefully some of those examples, they may not land perfectly, but at least get your gears turned of going, all right, I'm not measuring myself in terms of race performance. That's fine. I still want to compete. I still want to feel like I'm getting stronger. Like I'm improving, like I'm moving my fitness forward. What would be a couple of good metrics to do that? Maybe some running, maybe some non-running and have that blend of both. Um, but identify those metrics and then, you know, then you obviously keep track of them, you know, and, and you're not trying to do them every day or every week, but like you know, over the course of every month or two, we let's, let's run this test. Let's, let's do this specific workout. Let's, let's do a plank for time or whatever the case might be. Um, and see how it, how it measures out. One thing I would recommend Stephanie. And again, for anybody who's got some of these more amorphous goals than like, I want to PR my half marathon. Um, don't worry 
or don't overreact, I guess. You can worry a little bit, but don't overreact if the first one, you see improvement between the first one and the second one. You see improvement between the second one and the third one. But between the third one and the fourth one, there's a little bit of a regression. That's okay. That's okay. It doesn't mean that, that the sky is falling. It doesn't mean that you've peaked and, and you know, we're, we're not going to get any, any stronger, any faster, any fitter, any whatever from here. Like, let it, let it continue to play out. Continue to trust the process. The process, we want it to be this linear, gradual progression. Um, lots of times there's a step back. There's a step to the side. There's a, there's a, there's a, there'll be a time when like you got the same, basically the same result, you know, within the, within the margin of error, you know, you're, it, it was the same. Um, but keep going. And, and my guess is that, you know, the next test will probably be an improvement and maybe even a big improvement. Like it's almost like it stagnates for a second and then you get this big jump. So keep testing things over time and, and, you know, don't be afraid to let your, your goals change as well. Like as far as what your metrics are, what you're, what you're measuring, what you're trying to, to compete with yourself against, um, keep it fun, enjoy it. And hopefully that helps you, uh, scratch that competitive itch without being into racing, at least at this point, maybe ever. Uh, but thank you for the question, my lady. Hope that was, hope that made a little bit of sense and was at least mildly useful. <laughs> Next question from Jackie. I have a hilly race, hilly trail race coming up. I have no experience running a race like this. Any tips on how to be successful? Um, man, Jackie, that's, that's, you know, knowing where you live, uh, in central Florida, um, no, and, and thus knowing that, yeah, you don't have, you don't have access to, to hills, especially like big hills for a, 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 what would be classified as a hilly trail race. Um, you just got to do the best you can in terms of preparation. You know, I think, I think sometimes we get, it's easy to get caught up in the, you know, I'm run, this race is going to be run at altitude and how am I going to train for it when I live at sea level? You know, this race is a hilly, hilly course. How am I going to train for it when I don't have hills to run on? Um, you know, the more fit you can be, the better, you know, does that mean you're going to be, you're going to be the, 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 the goat that's just like racing up the hills, you know, the, 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 the best person on the climbing and the descent? No, probably not. But the, the stronger you are, the fitter you are, um, the, the less the conditions are going to impact you. They're still going to impact you. Um, but you know, keep training, keep, tra- keep trying to, to work on your fitness. Um, obviously, you know, we, we work together. I know you, your knees are giving you a little bit of problems, so maybe you can't get as many miles in as you would like, but like, you know, whatever you can do to improve fitness, to be stronger, to be, to be as, as peak fit as possible even though you're not going to get a lot of training on, on the Hills itself, you know, just as fit as you can be is going to be helpful. Right. Um, but also, you know, have fun with it. Like for a race like that, that you have no experience in, um, you know, don't, don't go out there and worry about the time. Don't go out there and, and, and worry about, um, being fast, right? Like take your time, have fun. Um, go into it with, with no expectations, go into it with no, pressure. Um, you know, just, just worry about putting one foot in front of the other, watch where you're going, uh, pick your feet up a little bit. You know, that's, that's a, that's an issue that can, can trip up literally, uh, a road runner when they get out on the trails for the first time is that, you know, on the roads, you don't have to pick your feet up that much. Uh, but on the trail, you don't pick your feet up too much. And there's a decent chance that you, you catch a root or you catch a rock or you, you catch, you catch a little, a little something on the trail and then you go down and you don't want to do that. So focus on trying to stay upright having a good time, um, and just, and just trying to roll with it as best as you can, because you're not going to be ace prepared for it, but it doesn't mean you can't still have a good time and a good experience. Um, just don't put any pressure on yourself as much as you can, or as little as you can, or whatever I'm trying to say. Uh, but thank you for the question. I hope you hope that your race does go 
really well, despite not having a lot of hill and, tra- and trail running experience. Uh, next question from Andy. Recent dog quick tip related questions. What is your leash setup when running with your dogs? Handheld or attached to a belt? And have you run any events? Have they run any events with you? I run several 5Ks with my dog where the top three dogs also get awards similar to age group winners. Uh, the organizer of these races loves dogs and races benefit canines and CNI dog programs. So um, when I run with the dogs, it's 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 as low tech as possible. Yeah, there's no no belt. Uh, I, I, I definitely want... I, I just feel like I'm in better control when I've got the dogs in, in the leashes in my hand. Uh, in large part because, you know... When, when we're cruising, like the dogs are pretty good, especially Bailey. She's our older dog. Uh, and, and I think I mentioned in the, the dog QT, uh, from earlier in the month, like she's literally run. I mean, I guess I don't have the, 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 I haven't gone through the numbers, but I would wager she's, she's run at least 8,000 miles with me in the last decade. Uh, we've had her for just over 10 years, um, arguably closer to 10,000 miles. Um, maybe not 10,000 miles between me and Rebecca is, is it probably pretty accurate, right? So, so all that said, however many, what the exact number is, like, she knows the drill. Like, like she, you know, she, she's almost the dog that you don't even need the leash for. Like, not that I would do that. Um, well, maybe I have done that a few times in the past, but like, like she's just going to run with me. Like she's not going to, she, unless she sees a squirrel, unless she sees a rabbit. Uh, in which case at that point, all bets are off and the, the hunter of the dog comes out and for whatever it's worth, Luna seems to be cut from a very similar cloth, maybe because they're both pointers. Like maybe there's something to that. Um, but the reason that I run with them with the leash in, in my hand is that when they do see the rabbit or the squirrel or whatever catches their attention and they, they can't help themselves, but to lunge at said little critter, that's just minding his business by the side of the road. Um, I feel like I have a lot more control over them and myself when my arm can kind of give, you know, like, like, uh, you know, they, they pull on me and, and sometimes I'm able to see it and be ready beforehand. But if not, you know, I can, I can like my arm kind of extends out, right? Like you just think of the physics of that versus if they're hooked to my, my belt, um, the leash is hooked to the belt and they go to take off. And now like, it's a little harder for me to brace that when I'm running. So, so I just feel like it's a safer setup, um, to hold it in my hand. Sure. That means I got to hold the leash in my hand, but like, if I really cared, I'd leave the dogs at home. Um, and I don't really care. And in fact, I really enjoy running with them. So that's, that's the setup that I go with. Obviously, if you run with the, the dogs in your belt, Hey, more power to you. It's, it's something that I've certainly, I've seen people do it. Um, I'm just always worried that, you know, if my dog sees a squirrel and wants to take off after it, which both of my dogs are going to take off after a squirrel. Like it's just, it's, it's going to happen. Um, I, I, I can control everybody's situation better for all of our safety. Uh, if I've got the leash in my hand. That said, could they rip the leash out of my hand and have we come close to that a couple of times? Yeah, uh, it's possible. But I also like to think I'm paying attention enough that um, at least in the neighborhood where we tend to run regularly, I kind of know where the where the spots are, where the, where the critters are most likely to be. Uh, not that they can't be elsewhere, but where they're most likely going to be and uh, try to make sure that I've, I've got my hand through the loop of the belt of the of the not of the belt, but of the of the leash. Um, so they, they got to take my arm with with them. And thankfully, neither of them are big enough and strong enough to quite rip the arm off at the shoulder. So that's our setup. As for have we run any races together? I haven't run any races with Luna yet. Haven't run any races with Bailey in a long time. But Bailey's got a couple of of uh, first place dog. Uh, she's got she's got 
two first place dog finishes in local 5Ks. Um, one of them, she was first overall. She beat me by, you know, whatever, three feet or whatever. It's a six foot leash, but it wasn't all the way pulled tight. So she beat me by two or three feet, something like that. Uh, in a, in a local 5k one time I was, I was the first human second overall. Um, but that's it for, for races. Uh, Bailey did do for whatever it's worth. Um, she did the great virtual race across Tennessee with me a couple years ago. Um, where, where we counted only her running miles. Um, but she ran, you know, that 630 odd miles, uh, virtual race, of course, not all in one shot. Um, I am convinced you got me talking about my dog. I'll talk about my dog all day. Uh, I am convinced she could have done a marathon with me. Had, had we done a marathon that was a dog friendly, most marathons aren't going to be dog friendly, but like if we done a trail marathon, um, in a cool month in Florida, there was, there was a period when she was, when she was like three, four, five years old. Um, she was deaf. She hundred percent could have ran 26 miles with me. Um, we just didn't find the right race to do that with. So as long as she's raced as a 5k, but, uh, yeah, we'll probably get Luna in a race here at some point. Um, it's just, it's just, again, it kind of depends on, she's still a little gun shy around people, not gun shy, but just a little shy around, around strangers. Um, so it wouldn't be good to be in a race environment with her yet, but she's getting, she's getting better. She's getting that more of that socialization. Um, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely down with dog running race with me for sure. For sure. Uh, but thank you for thank you for the questions, uh, Andy. Appreciate it, and uh, hope uh, hope all is well in your world. Next, coming in from north of the border, Mister Walker asks if I train for a half marathon PR with a solid base, but do no runs beyond about twenty five k or about sixteen miles, will I still be able to run a uh, shoot a shoots and giggles? Come on, Brian, can, we, can I still run an S and G marathon two weeks later? So, uh, for those of you that don't know what the the S and G the shoots and giggles uh, marathon is, something that I've I've, I've talked about a few times in the past where it's just, it's just, it's not an official race. It's almost like a fat ass race. Just go out, run 26.2 miles or 42.2 kilometers. Um, just run a marathon, right? Just for yourself. No, no accolades, no glory, no, no official times or anything like that, but just a low key, low key marathon. Um, so, so the question being, if you have, if you have a half marathon that you're trying to race hard, you've got a solid base going into it. Uh, but you really in that training cycle, nothing, nothing longer than about, you know, 15, 16 miles, 20, 23, 25 kilometers. Can you still go out there and run a, run an S and G marathon a couple weeks later? I mean, assuming no injuries coming out of the, the hard half marathon. Yeah, absolutely. Because to me, that means that like, it's the, the S and G, like it's, it's not stressful, right? Like, like just making up numbers here, but like, you, let's, let's say your half marathon PR, you're, you're aiming for this, this hard half marathon. You run it in an hour and 45 minutes. Like that's your PR, right? Um, but for an S and G marathon that's through, through your neighborhood, through town, whatever, like five hours, five and a half hours, like easy run, some walking, some, some stopping and talking to the neighbors and you know, whatever, petting a dog, like, like, yeah, I mean, low stress, easy peasy walk, some of it, no factor. Um, yeah, I, I would say with a solid base going in solid training cycle, even though you didn't get, you know, those super long training runs, um, you know, we're not worried about fading a little bit at the end of the, the S and G, right? You're just, you're just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And if that means you're walking a little bit or walking a little bit more, eh, no factor. So yeah, I would think you'd absolutely be able to do that. If you wanted to do that two weeks later, again, operating under the assumption that there's no, no issues that bubble up during the hard half marathon that need to be addressed. But as long as you come out of that healthy, just sore, but healthy, let your body recover a couple weeks later, get out there and have yourself, have yourself a time running, uh, 
running a SNG for yourself. So thanks for the question, Brian. Uh, next up, Mr. Mathis, James asks, do you have any favorite running documentaries? Um, this is a, this is a bit of a cop-out answer, but like, I don't really watch a lot of running documentaries. The ones that I can most remember watching are at least recently are ones where I've interviewed people, you know, people associated with the, the documentary, people that were in it or, or directed it or, or organized it, um, on the podcast. So, uh, once is enough is, is a good one. Um, that, that was on the podcast, not too, uh, a couple guys, a few years ago. Uh, but that one was one I enjoyed. Um, Oh, what, what are the other ones? There's, I, I, I gave, I put down a couple of them. Um, the, the Chris Ward one, hold on. Let me, let me, let me check this. I need to, I need to give the plugs where they're due. Press pause. All right, let's, let's try this answer again. I hate, I hate press and pause while I'm recording. I love to just do these all in one shot, but I definitely want to make sure we're given, given these plugs accordingly. Um, cause I, I, I would encourage you to check them out. They're, they're, they're documentaries that I enjoyed. So the first one, like I said, was once is enough. And that's by Jeffrey James Binney. Um, who, uh, it's about him kind of changing his life, getting healthy and deciding to run a hundred mile ultra marathon. Uh, second one that I've watched for the podcast in the last few years that I also really enjoyed a long way from nowhere. Uh, that's the Chris Ward documentary, uh, that he did kind of looking at, oh, what was the race? It's, it's, um, it's a multi-day stage race across the Cocopelli Trail in uh, from Colorado to Utah. Uh, definitely enjoyed that one. That one's relatively new. I think it's available for free on the YouTubes. Check that one out. Uh, again, that's once. I'm sorry, once is enough, and then a long way from nowhere. And then the third one is uh, 3100 Run to Remember. I think is what it's called. Uh, but it's from directed by Sanjay Rawl. He was on the podcast. Um, let me double check here. Run and become. I'm sorry. Run and become. It's a, a 3100 mile run around in New York city, um, 3,100 miles, half mile loops takes, you know, 20 odd days, a month, a couple something like 52 days is how long the race goes, but the winners get it done quicker than that. Or maybe they go even longer. I, I can't remember all the details, but it's, it's, it's an epic run. Um, and that was a good, that was a good documentary as well. So 3,100 run and become a long way from nowhere. Once is enough are three good documentaries that I've seen recently ish. And, and each that are at least discussed, somewhat in depth in uh, podcast episodes from the, the past as well. So those are three good ones. I also, I'm a sucker for spirit of the marathon one spirit of the marathon two, uh, but a lot of the other ones, Barclays and, and, you know, just, just a lot of those other documentaries that I know everybody loves. I just never really watched. I've never really, it's, I like documentaries, but I don't just like sit down and watch TV long enough to watch one is ultimately what it, what is the, is the holdup for me. So, um, but those are, those are some good ones that I enjoy. Uh, once again, once is enough, a long way from nowhere and 3,100 run and become. Um, I think the first two are on most of your streaming places. And like I said, I'm pretty sure a long way from nowhere is free on YouTube. So check them out. Another question from James. Are you crossing off any States on your marathon quest this fall season? I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know, like we're still, still, still a little time left in the year. I don't know that I am. I don't know that I'm not. Um, I know Jason Dennis, the man with two first names is trying to convince me to come over to his side of Georgia and, and run, uh, he's got a marathon in his hometown, um, that he's trying to convince me to do. And like, I haven't really like said yes. I haven't really said no. I mean, I guess I'm kind of leaning towards no, but like, like, I don't know why. I mean, I could, I don't know if I feel like, like I don't know that I'm in marathon shape right now, but I'd run it like an S and G, I guess. So like, I wouldn't probably run it to PR. Um, I don't know. I mean, so I guess, the, I guess the answer is probably not. 
Cause like, I, I don't really have any firm plans. Um, I do need to run a marathon one of these days soon. Um, so I should probably plan something, but as of, as of today, as of the end of September, um, no plans of any marathons this year. Uh, even though, like I said, Jason Dennis is, is sure trying to get me, get me to do it. Um, so we'll see. I'll, I'll keep you posted, but probably not. Thanks for the questions, James, as always. Uh, next up question from David. Do you think the adrenaline of a race can hurt rather than help sometimes this year? I haven't ran a whole lot of races in the last two in particular. I've been gassed at pace and mile marker that I never do during my training run, including tempos. So if I, if I'm understanding your question correctly, David, yeah, I absolutely think that the adrenaline of a race can hurt you. I think that that sometimes that excitement, that adrenaline, that, that like maybe even the, the other runners, um, can all kind of combine to, to encourage us to go a little faster, a little earlier than we should have, or, or start off just at a pace that's, that's a little bit more aggressive than what we want to be given the distance of the race. And, uh, yeah, you know, you, you do that for a couple few miles or however, you know, a chunk of the race. And all of a sudden it makes this, the second part of the race a lot more difficult. So I, I think that's one of those things that I know I struggled with a lot when I was still kind of new to running and, and knock on wood, it's something that I don't struggle with as much these days. Like, like I know that the race is going to be a little bit more exciting. Um, but I, I, I have a tendency for better or for worse, but I have a tendency to start races these days, markedly slower, like a mile or two, a, a minute, I'm sorry, not a mile or two, a minute or two per mile slower than goal pace. Maybe not for that whole mile, but for the first half a mile and then kind of settle in. Um, I think back to, to, I ran a 10 miler, uh, earlier this spring and my goal was like 75 minutes. I wanted to, I wanted to run it in 75 minutes for 10 miles. And, uh, I think I ran my first mile in like, I don't know, 840, something like that. 830 maybe. Um, once you do the math on that, that means that my, you know, my first mile would have, or my, my, you know, would have been more like 85 minutes than 75 minutes. Um, but then I kind of settled in and picked up the pace and, and kind of kept going from there. Um, ended up running it in like, in like 70 minutes. So I made up all the time. And I, and I say that to say this, not to, not to toot my own horn. Um, although maybe there's a little bit of that, but like, like I, I do think that, that there's a little bit of, yes, I went out s- slower than I wanted to, which gave me a bigger, you know, proverbial hill to climb to make up the time to hit my goal. But, you know, over the course of a 10 mile race, a half marathon, a marathon, like you, you might give up 30, 40, 50 seconds in that first mile or two. But if you've got 10 miles to go, you just got to pick up five seconds per mile the rest of the way. So all that to say, I think that being more aggressive or or, I'm sorry, more cautious early sets you up to be able to make up the time versus if you're, if you're, if you're aiming for perfect splits, if I'm aiming for that seven 30 for the first mile, but I ended up running at seven 15 or seven flat because I I just got a little bit too excited by the, the, the other runners and the, the start line and the adrenaline. Um, that might, I, I might have gassed myself too early and really fall off at the end. So all that to say, I mean, that's things I've learned over the years and, and, and it takes a little bit of self-discipline and a little bit of, of restraint early in a race to really focus on, Hey, I'm going to let all these people go. I'm going to pass a lot of them between now and the finish line. Uh, and the ones I'm not going to pass. Well, guess what? If I were to try to keep up with them from the beginning, they were going to drop me, you know, the last, the last few miles anyway. So I got to run my own race, which, which for me means, be conservative at the start, crush it towards the end. Um, and that fights against the adrenaline of race day. So that's something you kind of got to learn to manage 
um, especially when you're trying to race hard. And it sounds like you've, you've kind of gotten it a little bit wrong a couple of times, which is okay. I got it wrong many times as well. Uh, we all know that story of my first marathon, trying to run 10 minute flat and I, you know, running seven thirty a mile and a half into the race. Cause I was just so caught up with the adrenaline, the excitement of the race, uh, didn't end well for me. Kind of have tried to learn from that over the years. So yes, it can, it can absolutely hurt you sometimes if you, if you get too caught up in the excitement of the, especially around the starting line. Um, so, so just be, being aware of that can be massive in helping to prevent it. So good luck in the future, David. Uh, and thank you for the question. Of course, uh, next question from Victoria lost heart rate training. How would one go about determining a minimum heart rate needed to produce a training effect? Most younger runners probably don't have to worry about staying above a minimum, but for those of us that are, you know, 65 and older, uh, heart rate training kind of requires us to stay below 120 beats per minute, at least that kind of maffetone method of heart rate training. And even when you start getting into the zones, you're getting, getting into that 120, 118, 122 range. Uh, so unless I want to, you know, ride the 120 line completely, which is tedious and inevitably leads to numerous times above 120, my heart rate can dip down much closer to 100 beats per minute, which seems a bit low to ensure a training effect. Um, and just kind of continues to, to talk about it as I've understood it. Uh, recovery running at 60 to 70% of max, running easy about 65 to 75% of max, which kind of shakes out to a heart rate in the 95 to 120 beats per minute range. Is there, a, is there a, ultimately the question, should I then conclude that my heart rate, anything above 100 be adequate to ensure a training effect? Um, yes, but... Yes, but Victoria. So, so ultimately to summarize the question or, or maybe the original question before you got into all the nuance and the numbers are certainly helpful. Um, but is there, is there a minimum heart rate that's going to produce a training effect? I don't really think there is. And, and I hate to sound dismissive like that. And it's not like I've read anywhere or any, any of the heart rate training experts out there that are like, no, there's, there's nothing, no such thing as too low of a heart rate to, to get a benefit. Um, but the way I see it is that what, what is the goal of heart rate training? Or again, effort-based training, any type of, any type of philosophy where we're running easy most of the time, what is, what is the goal of that easy run to, to stimulate the system a little bit, to improve aerobic efficiency, um, to not stress the body too much. Um, all of those benefits, I feel like they happen anytime you're, you're, I mean, arguably they happen even when you're out for a walk, right? Um, anytime your heart rate's up above resting, you're, 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 you're working the system a little bit. Now, am I trying to say that working your system at 80 or 90 beats per minute is the same as working your, your system at for, for you, Victoria, where, you know, you're trying to keep it under hundred, 120 is, is 80 or 90. They're going to be the same level of impact as working at 110, 115. I mean, I don't think I'm going that far. I, I think that would be kind of silly to try to argue that it is. Um, but as you, are you still getting an impact at 80 to 90? I would say, yes, I would say yes. Um, you know, if you can keep it right around a hundred so that you can, you can feel like you're, you're working a little bit, but you're not having to constantly be watching your watch or listening for the alert to go off saying that you're at 122, 123. I mean, I think that's perfect. And, and, and if we want to try to scale it a little bit and give a little more concrete example, um, and I'm not saying that it, it scales completely perfectly, but, but just, to, just to, to kind of say that I do kind of practice what I preach on this, on this aspect, you know, I'm 41. So for my Maffetone number, I should be at 139 is my, my maximum aerobic heart rate. Um, I do most of my runs in the one, 110 to 125 range. So I'm, I am, you know, keeping most of my runs. Um, I don't want to say intentionally 20 to 30 beats per minute below what my, what my, you know, upper limit is. Um, but it just, it's just kind of how it happens. Just kind of how it happens. 
It, it allows me to not have to be focused on my watch to not worry about am I running too fast or whatever. If it drops a little bit lower because I'm not feeling it and I'm walking a little bit more. Okay. Like I'm st- it's still time on feet. I still feel it's moving me forward. Um, and, and over, over extended period of time, continue to do this week after week, month after month. Um, you know, like, like I, I feel like I'm making progress now. Would I make more progress if I, if I was really focused on trying to keep my heart rate at, you know, 130 to 135. So I'm still, still giving myself a little buffer from my upper limit, but like trying to keep it a little bit, a little bit higher level of easy. I mean, maybe, but, but I feel, and this is me feeling, this is me offering an expert opinion backed with nothing but just maybe anecdotal evidence. Um, but I don't think it's, it's like a massive difference. I think it's like, like diminishing returns in terms of, of impact. How am I trying to say this? So like, uh, I'm going to make some stuff up that hopefully proves or illustrates the point, which, you know, (laughs) me, me making stuff up. Um, if, if running for you, Victoria, we'll make this back about you. If running for you at a hundred gives you X benefit, I don't think that keep getting your heart rate to, to 110 and running there would give you X plus 10 benefit any more than I think that, that getting to 120 and keeping it right at that line gives you X plus 20 benefit. I think it would be more like if running at a hundred gives you X benefit, um, or maybe it would be 10 X and 20 X. But anyway, if running at, at 100 give you X benefit, I think running at 110 might give you something like, you know, 1.1 X. So it might be a little bit more benefit, but like it's marginal, you know, if running at, at, um, 120 would then give you maybe, you know, 1.15 X benefit. And for those of you that understand math, you realize like, yeah, it's a little bit more, but it's marginal. Like it's not enough to like worry about. Um, and so, and so that's kind of how I view it. As long as you're in that e- that easy zone, that aerobic training zone, which for you would be anywhere under 120, you're getting a benefit. The closer you get to 120, maybe it's an increased benefit, but it's marginal gains, marginal gains. And, and conversely, it's not like if you got down to 80 beats per minute or 90 beats per minute, it would be like one half of X. It would be like maybe 0.95 of X. Like, so maybe it's a little bit less than 100, but it's still a benefit. It's still moving your fitness forward. It's still, it's still delivering what we're trying to get to. So, so all that said, hopefully not too confusing, probably confusing. Um, I don't believe there's a minimum level where it produces a training effect. I think it's a sliding scale. Of course, I think you get higher up in that easy range. You might get more of a benefit, but it's marginal gains at anywhere along that scale, anywhere from an intentional walk to an easy run. You're getting the majority of the same benefit anywhere in that, that vicinity, no matter how, no matter what your zones are, no matter how young or old you are and how that impacts your, your fitness zones or your, what your fitness is overall. I think if you're moving, you're getting the benefit. Um, as long as you're not working too hard, we're talking about improving that aerobic base and improving that base of fitness. As long as your heart rate's not higher than where we want it, you're getting the benefit is, is how I see it. Maffetone might argue a little bit differently, but I don't think, I don't think so from everything I've read. Um, he might say to try to keep it towards the upper end, but he's not going to, I I've never seen him say, say anything where it's like, well, if you're, you know, 20 beats below your, your upper limit, you might as well not even bother. Like I've never heard him say anything like that. So I wouldn't worry about it. I'd keep it right around hundred. So you don't have to stress about where your numbers are and trust that your, your, your fitness is improving because I believe wholeheartedly that it is. So thank you for the question, my lady. Um, keep on keeping on next up. Another question from David. 
Uh, I know every October, Joe Rogan does a sober October. Along with it, he usually does a fitness challenge. Is there any good running-related challenges for the month of October that you could re- recommend for the tribe? Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I am not creative when it comes to these types of challenges. So I'm certainly not making anything up off the top of my head. Um, I know some people do, um, like run the number of miles as the number of the, as the, the days. So like on the first, you'd run one mile on the second, you run two miles for a month like October, where there's 31 days that gets, that gets intense towards the last week of the month, you know, where you're running 28 miles, 29 miles, 30 miles, 31 miles for the last four days of the month. That's, that's freaking 108 miles or whatever it is over the last four days of the month. When you, Oh, by the way, you've already run, you know, 250 miles or 300 miles or whatever it is to that point. So, you know, I mean, that's a challenge that that's a challenge. I don't know. That's a good running challenge. I mean, it's a good challenge. I don't know if it's a good challenge though, um, for, for us to do certainly not something I'm signing up for. Um, I wouldn't even sign up for that challenge necessarily in February, but if I was going to do it, I would do it in February. Um, you know, maybe it's a scene on the run challenge of just like looking for some good Halloween decorations, like newsflash, my neighborhood wins. Um, our neighborhood is insane for Halloween. Um, already the decorations are out of control and we're not even to October yet. So maybe, maybe something like that where like who can find the best or just always be on the lookout for good Halloween decorations. Um, you know, maybe leaves changing colors, depending on where you are in the, in the country, that could be something to look for. Um, but, but I, I feel like those challenges, like, like they're best when there's something that's, that means something to you. Almost back to Stephanie's question about goals and things to work towards, like find a challenge. Like maybe it's a mileage challenge. Maybe it's a running streak. Maybe it's a, um, you know, I don't know, like, like a, a photo challenge a, a, what can I, what were the coolest things I can see? What is the best, you know, leaf, leaf pile or, or whatever. Um, but just something that's fun. So, so I guess the question or the answer is no, I don't have any good challenges that you can recommend or that I can recommend. Um, but if you, if you have any suggestions, David, let me turn this around to you. If you have any suggestions, let me know, let me know. Maybe we'll put something together, but as long as you're having fun out there, um, that's, that's what matters most. But thanks for the questions this month, David. Appreciate it. Next up, it's time for a little hat trick action. Gary Joe coming, coming to us from the DMS and Twitter. Um, got his three questions in this month. First one from Gary Joe. If you see someone bad mouthing another runner at a race for being slow or quote unquote in their way, do you call their douchery uh, out or throw, just throw a stink eye and move on? Um, I mean, here, here, this is, this is the first, it depends answer of the month. Um, and I, I, you're putting me on blast here, Gary Joe, I, I got to throw myself under the bus, but like, I've been the guy that's, that's doing some, not necessarily bad mouthing, I don't think, but like I've grumbled at people not for being slow. I, I would never, I, you know, fast, slow, all relative. I'm not, I'm not here to, to grumble about that. Um, but sometimes the etiquette, and, and I know that sometimes people don't know what they, what they don't know. Um, but, but I can remember, uh, oh man, y'all, y'all get, I mean, whatever, judge me. That's fine. Um, so, so at the celebration half marathon that I did a, a year and a half ago, we did it before we, we moved from Florida. Uh, I was out there trying to PR, right? And this is one of those races where there's a marathon and there's a half marathon going on at the same time. And, you know, you get almost to the end of the first loop. It's like, it's, it's two loops for the marathon, one loop for the half. Like the breakoff point is at like 12 and a quarter or something like that. 12 and a half miles where the half marathoners break off to go to the finish and the marathoners go off to then ultimately run the, the next loop again. And, um, I was getting close to that breakoff point. And at this point, we're on like a, a relatively narrow trail, like a, like a, like a just a kind of typical walking trail, but it's paved. 
Um, but it's kind of hills on both sides. So you can't like just like run kind of wherever you're kind of stuck on the trail. But, you know, keep in mind, we're 12 ish miles in at this point. The, 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 the race has spread out a little bit. Um, and I'm, I'm closing in on this guy and I'm trying to pass him. And I don't know whether this dude was doing it on purpose or not, but I'm, I'm going for a PR. I'm on pace for, I'm on pace for a big PR. I've got less than a mile to go. I'm trying to get around this guy and I, he, he'd be running on the right side of the trail. And so I'd kind of veer over to the left side of the trail and he veers over to the left side and there was nobody running next to him. He's just running, but he couldn't run straight apparently, or he was trying to block me off. If he was trying to block me off, he can go to hell. Um, but this not, all right. So now I cut back over to the right and he cuts back over to the right. And I, like he was, he wasn't like looking back at me. So I don't know if he, like he probably wasn't doing it on purpose, but I definitely said something to the effect of like, pick a lane or <laughs> something. Um, and he said something back to me and I told him where he could go and how he could get there. And I was, I was, and I, and I blew past him and I was just like, Fuck this guy, like, Again, like, so was that me being a douche? Was he being a douche? Was he trying to like, like, I don't know. Like he was in the way, whether he was in the way and he branched off and he, and he did the marathon. So he wasn't even close to the finish line. Uh, I got, I got a little fired up on that one. So like, you know, I don't, was I in the right to call him out? Was I in the right to tell him to, Hey, you know, if you want to run the left side of the trail, run the left side of the trail, run the right side. Like if you want to, if you want to pick you in the middle, run the middle, but like, give me enough space to get around your slope, you know? Not that he was running slow, but like, I'm trying to finish this race and he's blocking me off and we're not even compete. Like, Oh, I was fired up. Um, still I'm apparently a little bit fired up. Like, was I in the wrong to call him out? Was I the douche for calling him out? Like, I mean, I don't know. I guess you can, you can judge me how you want to judge me on that one. But in that type of situation, like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I was bad mouth. And I was just like, dude, like, <laughs> come on. Um, you know, and, and, and sometimes I guess maybe where it depends comes is it's, it's in the context, right? Like, like if, if people are running and this happens a lot at Disney races for better or for worse, cause you get folks that and it happens at local five Ks too, a lot where people are running races for the first time and they're running, you know, they got, they got four or five friends that they're, they're doing this race with and they're running four or five across blocking, you know, certainly blocking a path. If it's on a path, maybe even blocking, you know, a lane of traffic. If they're, if you have one lane of traffic blocked off for the runners and they're running five wide, you know, like, um, and so, so like maybe, you know, you could, you could be a jerk and be like, Hey, boot, whatever. Like y'all can, can you give us some room to pass? You know, maybe that's, that's a, a better way to do it. Uh, maybe I could have tried that with the guy that kept blocking me off. I don't know. But you know, so, so it's kind of one of those, like, what is, what is the, the, the tone? What is, what is the intonation of the person bad mouthing them? I'm probably not going to call them out right there. Um, because I'm not that much of a confrontational type of person. Like, like I'll definitely judge him and probably mumble something, but like, I'm not going to just be like, Hey, quit being an ass. Like that's, that's not really my style. Uh, unless they, unless they're really going overboard, in which case probably there's other people that are coming to the rescue quicker than me. So I can just skirt on by. Um, but yeah, I'm going to, gr- I, I grumble sometimes, especially if you're blocking me off while I'm trying to just, just trying to run past you, just trying to get past you. And, and you know, like, don't block me off. Don't block. Don't don't block anybody off. You're being the douche. Oh. Anyway, moving on. Next question from Gary Joe. Not so much of a question, but a reaction to this statement. Running isn't therapy. It's a modality of therapy. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, oh, this is one of you trying to get me in trouble with all these these like hard hitting questions this month, Gary Joe. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, like I feel like this is one of those where 
and I, I don't mean to, to disparage any therapists that are like, yeah, I mean, running isn't the same thing as therapy, which it probably isn't right. Like it's not going and in, going into an office and talking to a therapist and working through, working through things and that, that method. Um, but is running a form of, is running, is running therapy for some folks? I mean, sure. You know, like just like art can be fair, like painting can be therapy for some people and playing guitar or playing piano or listening to music or like, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not a therapist. I, I don't pretend to be one. Um, I've never done therapy. I've never gone to therapy. I quite frankly, for whatever it's may or may not be worth. I, I, I can't see very many scenarios where I would ever willingly go to therapy. Like, it's just not my thing. Like, like talking to people is not my thing. Um, could running be my therapy? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's good for my mental health. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Um, and so does that make it, does that make it a modality of therapy? Does that make it my own type of level of therapy? Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, I guess my reaction to the statement that running isn't therapy, it's a modality of therapy is it's like for, for a lot of folks, like it's a, it's a hair that's not worth splitting. Like if somebody wants to call running their therapy, like, I don't care if somebody wants to say running really isn't technically therapy. Like, okay. I mean, that's fine. I don't care about that either. Um, I think it's one of those, I think it's one of those, those statements that's, that's a loaded statement. Um, and for some people it's, it's more loaded than for others. And so it can be a little bit, whatever triggering, or it can be a little bit of a, of a thing that gets, that, that, that gets under your skin and burr under your saddle. Um, but to me it's, it's okay. It, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me either way. It doesn't bother me either way. Um, but to be fair, there's a lot of things in life that don't bother me either way, unless I'm trying to pass your ass when I'm going for a PR and a half marathon and you keep getting in front of me and then, then I get fired up. Uh, and in which case I might need to run more for the therapy benefits. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> number three, the, the third, the third question of Gary Joe's hat trick here, uh, obligatory, pure, pure foolishness question, favorite Halloween costume as younger days. Um, so I, you know, as, as some of you can relate to, depending on where you grew up, if you grew up in the Midwest, if you grew up in new England, if you grew up in places where, you know, on October 20th, you're trying to put your, your Halloween costume together and there's equal chances of it being 55 or 60 degrees as being 20 degrees and snowing. Um, you know that like you, you kind of, you kind of default a lot of years to like generic, you know, ghost hobo, um, monster with a cape, something where you can put your winter clothes on underneath your, your, your Halloween costume. Um, so I, all that to say, I've had a lot of generic years of being a monster with some mask on and a cape and, you know, Halloween or, uh, you know, winter jacket on underneath it and winter hat on underneath the mask and, and all that to stay warm up while trick or treating. Um, you know, same thing with a hobo, right? You just keep layering up old, old work clothes and things like that. Dad's old Carhartt jacket. That's all ripped up and got, you know, dirt stains and, and, and things like that. And like that, that looks like a hobo jacket. Like, sure. That works. Um, paint a beard on your face. Like, yeah, whatever. Good to go. Uh, but none of those are like really memorable, right? Like, like the one costume that I kind of can remember that was actually like a thing, um, was, uh, I was a mime one year, um, which, which probably like suited me perfectly. Cause I just couldn't talk. It was like, yeah, don't, don't talk. Like I don't talk. Yeah. I guess I kind of live in my life without the, without the white face paint and the, uh, the black, black beret. Um, but yeah, I was a mime in like sixth grade. That was, that was, that was a costume that stands out a little bit. I don't know that it was my favorite, but it's like the one that stands out beyond like generic monster, generic hobo. Um, I was a mime. I was a, ba- I was a baseball player when I was like young, you know, I, I did the baseball, baseball player thing. Um, so maybe that too. But when I was young, when I was in like kindergarten, first grade, I was, I was uh, a little baseball player. So there you go. 
tip, nothing, nothing fancy. No, no, certainly never took it to, to the level that uh, we might take it to these days with, with little Miss Addison. Um, but she also, you know, has had Halloween's only in Florida and Georgia where there's no real chance of snow flying on uh, Halloween night. So you can kind of get away with, I don't know, less, less need to have layers underneath your costume or, or just, you know, put the, put the, put the winter jacket on over top of the ballerina outfit. And then I'm like, what are you? You just get your winter jacket on. No, I'm see, I've got ballerina slippers on like, Oh, okay. But, but your, but your ballerina slippers are inside of your snow boots because there's snowing. So really, what are you? You just, you just dressed up for your snowmobile ride, but you're a ballerina. Okay. You know, anyway, Whew, how do we get there? How do we get, we get, we get a random questions from Gary Joe. That's how we got there. But thanks for the questions, my friend, as always. Uh, next question from Martin. Uh, what are some good ways to strengthen ankles and feet? I've noticed that after really long runs, anything greater than three hours, that my right ankle is very sore for a couple of days. I think it's partially an overused thing, but I also realize that I really neglect strength in general and specifically foot and ankle strength. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that, um, it's a great question, Martin, because I, I think it's something that flies under the radar. A lot of times people that are training for their first, especially, you know, first marathon, which, which I know that you're working towards and getting, getting close to, to that, the big day. Um, you know, you don't think about that. And, and until you've run, you know, those type of miles semi-consistently, you don't realize that like foot and ankle strength, kind of a big deal. And so, so I think the, the easiest thing, you know, cause the last thing that I'm sure you want to do at this point is like dedicate lots and lots of time to foot and ankle strength. I think the biggest thing is to walk around your house barefoot, you know, just, just being barefoot, uh, maybe doing a little bit of balance, like balance on one, one foot while you're brushing your teeth, you know, switching through halfway through, um, or if you're, you're at the sink, you know, doing the dishes or at the stove cooking or waiting for the coffee to warm up or whatever, like just balance on one foot barefoot. Um, maybe a little bit of a bend in your knee and just, just allow those little muscles in your feet and your ankles to work, to, to stay balanced. Um, it's not, it's not anything massive, but doing that type of stuff consistently, just like anything, just like everything I talk about all the time, consistently over time, it may not serve you a massive benefit between now and your race. Cause I think your race is coming up quick. Um, but quite frankly, there's nothing you're going to do that's going to serve you a massive benefit for your ankle and foot foot strength in, you know, a couple few weeks, but over time, you know, it'll make a difference. It'll make a difference how you feel running shorter distance. It'll make a difference how you feel if, and when you decide to do another marathon down the road, or at least these longer runs of longer than three hours. Um, so that's, that's my big thing. Just working on balancing on one leg, uh, ideally barefoot walking around barefoot in the house causes your, your, you know, your, your feet to work in a different way than what they, they, they are required to work when you're in a shoe. Um, you know, and there's other things you can do towel crunches and pickups and things like that. Um, but the, 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 the easiest way to fit it into your life without making it an extra thing to do, just balancing on one foot while you're brushing your teeth, things like that. Um, anytime you're standing around in the house, just balance on one foot, you know, like I'm, I'm standing up recording right now. And because we're talking about it, I'm literally balancing on one foot. So like just mixing those types of things in a little bit here and there, when you think about it, hopefully it eventually kind of becomes somewhat automatic. Um, and it can make a difference, make a difference in a big, big way. So hope that helps. Hope the, the feet and ankles hold up and hope you, that, that first marathon is a, a good experience for you, my friend. Uh, next up from Natasha, I'm running a marathon this weekend. She says, and the race is going to be hot low in the seventies highs in the mid eighties. I've got a bit of a time goal. Should I still go for it? How do you tend to adjust or accommodate for heat when racing? Oh man, Natasha, this, this is tough. This is tough. Um, because, because there's not much you can do about the heat, right? Like the weather's going to be what the weather's going to be. And we pick these fall goal races, hoping that it's going to be a, a cool fall day. Uh, and sometimes it is, and sometimes it's, you know, seventies and eighties 
and that's not cool weather. I don't care where you're training and where, where the race is. Like you've been training in Florida in the, in the summertime, um, seventies and eighties for race day. It's still, it's still very much warm enough that it can impact your race. Um, so, so the, should I go for it question? I mean, that's, that's one that only you can really answer. Um, but I think it kind of comes back to like weighing the risk versus the reward of going for it and, and, and being successful. You're going for that big, big time goal and, and successfully getting it. And what is that going to mean to you versus going for it and blowing up and not, not necessarily like having massive heat issues, but just like, like it, it, it goes away from you. you. The heat gets to you. You got to dial it way back and you end up coming in way slower than your, your original goal. Like, is it, is it worth it to go for it knowing that the heat could get to you and you could have to back down? Um, so it's just it, like, it's, it's a, it's a different level of calculus. The, the, the other thing is that you don't necessarily know, you know, some, sometimes we're pretty like for me personally, sometimes the heat doesn't bother me at all. I mean, maybe when I'm racing hard, it does a little bit more, but, but you know, I feel like I, I'm pretty good at, at managing the heat. Uh, you know, 20 years in Florida, I guess will do that for me. Um, but there are some times when it's not that hot. And for whatever reason, like the heat gets to me that day. And so you don't really necessarily know, you know, you, you could go for it and be, and, and really be fine. Uh, you could go for it and you know, within six miles, you still have 20 miles to go and you're like, Oh shit, I'm in trouble. Um, you don't know. So, so it, it ultimately comes down to you kind of deciding if I go for it and it goes sideways hard, like, am I okay with, you know, maybe my goal is to run four fifteen or whatever your goal is. Um, I'm okay with running five thirty because I went for it and the heat got to me and now I'm walking in the last 10 miles. Um, or, you know, all right, am I going to say, all right, the weather's, the weather's not conducive instead of going for that four fifteen, I'm going to go for four twenty five, and maybe I'll do all right and be able to run in a little bit faster, maybe at four twenty, four twenty one, four twenty two, something like that. Um, but even if it gets to me, if I'm go, if I'm setting a more conservative goal, maybe I'll only go, you know, instead of four twenty five, maybe I'll be four thirty, um, and be okay with that. You know, so it's just, it's a, it's that risk reward. It's that you know, what what am I going to be more disappointed in taking a chance and it going sideways, um, or not taking a chance and wondering if I could have gone for it? And I can't answer those questions for you. But you know, as far as how to accommodate, you know, hydrate up beforehand. Make sure you're hydrating this week. Get some extra electrolytes in this week. Um, you know, drink on the course. Take care of the electrolytes. Things like that. And ultimately recognize that like there are going to be other races. If the, if it is hot, if it's starting to get to you, don't keep pushing it. Don't, don't put yourself in a position where like you really start knocking on the door, heat illness, like back off. It's not worth it. You know, be, be on the lookout for, uh, you know, dizziness, nausea, blurred vision, things like that, that are pretty good signs that like the heat's really starting to impact you. If any of those things start to happen, you don't necessarily have to pull the plug on the race, but pull the plug on, on the time goal. Certainly you know, maybe stop at an aid station, get a little bit of extra water, get a little ice, things like that. Um, but ultimately I think, I think the best answer is to err on the side of caution when it comes to heat. Um, but I'm not going to tell you not to go for your goal. Um, that's, that's a decision you have to make, but, but please be smart and be safe at your race and hope your race goes well. Even if you decide to not go after your big goal. Uh, next up from Shannon favorite energy boosting food, of course, marathon or I'm in the course of marathon training. I'm in week 13. I'm pretty much dead and eaten like a horse. What is your favorite go-to for energy slash filling food throughout the day? Not specific to before or during your running. So, um, I mean, I don't know, Shannon, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I have those, those go-to foods. Like I, I'm kind of a, a, well, actually I do. All right. So here's, here's what I do. Right. Um, I mean, I'm a cheese guy. I may have mentioned that once or twice. Um, so I've just got blocks of cheese at the house and I'm like cutting, cutting chunks off all day, 
every day pretty much, but not, not because I'm like super, super ravenous, but like, that's just kind of my, my, my day. Um, but otherwise like, like I don't have, I don't really have a good answer for you. I don't, I don't have any go-tos for like, I'm super hungry. What am I going to like? I just, you know, eat more cheese. <laughs> I, I mean, I wish it wasn't that simple, but it's really that simple. I eat more cheese. Um, you know, maybe have some fruits and vegetables. I don't really, I don't really do vegetables. Let's not kid ourselves. Maybe have some extra fruit. Uh, maybe if I've got an apple or a banana, I put some slather, some peanut butter on there. That, that seems to be a little bit more filling as well. Um, but I think, I think it kind of comes down to like, you know, proteins, fats, things like that, that are more, a little bit more filling. Uh, I try to default to those types of, of food options. Uh, but I'm, I'm a low carb guy anyway, as, as you may know. So like, like I'm not like fruits, fruits are my big carbs for the most part. Um, but, but I don't, I, you know, I, I try to, that's why I go with cheese, right? That's why I go with, with, uh, you know, yogurt, uh, something that, that's a little and full fat yogurt. So it's got, it's got a little bit of carb in it, but it's definitely got, you know, a lot of fat to it, a lot of protein, things like that. Um, protein shakes, you know, I mean, like, like, but I don't have anything specific. I don't have anything that like is a, is a must have uh, cheese, cheese. Is the, maybe there's a theme here. Cheese is the must have, uh, as long as we got cheese in the house. And I, I'm the one that does the grocery shopping, so I can't complain to anybody else. As long as we got cheese in the house, like I'm okay. If we don't have cheese in the house, guess who's going to the grocery store today? This guy, because we got to have some cheese. Um, so, so I guess that's ultimately my answer. But you know, your mileage may vary on that. And sorry, I don't have a better, better option for you. Um, try to stick with healthy stuff, of course. You know, indulge a little bit here and there. Um, maybe a little bit of extra protein, a little bit of extra fat, because that tends to be a little bit more filling. Um, but ultimately, eat healthy food and trust. You know, if your body. One thing I will say, if your body is telling you you're hungry, eat because clearly it needs some nutrients. It needs, it needs what you're, it needs, it needs some calories. It needs some fuel. Um, cause you're asking a lot of it. So give it, give your body the nutrients and the nutrition to stay strong, to stay healthy, and hopefully have a really good race here in another few weeks. Uh, but thank you for the question, lady. Next up D asks, and kind of a same, same line of, of thought. I'm wondering why I'm not hungry after long runs. I've noticed this for years, but I am way more hungry after a 45 minute to a 60 minute run than I am after a three or four hour long run. Uh, I know that I should fuel after, but most of the time I don't feel like it. Any ideas? Um, D I tell you what, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I, not that I'm super hungry usually after my, my shorter runs. Um, but I, I am not, I don't eat after long runs really. Um, I'm just not hungry. I'm not hungry. And, and my belief, and I know there's so many people, oh, nutrient timing. And if you don't have X number of carbs mixed with X number of protein, a four to one ratio within 30 minutes after you finished your, your run or your workout, your, your sacrifice and recovery, get out of here. I mean, I know there's some science to that, but also at the same time, like, like that's for like, to, as, as I understand it in my expert opinion, that's much more for like after a killer hard workout, when you've got more workouts to come. So like maybe you get another hard workout tomorrow, which I wouldn't recommend, but maybe you do. Uh, and you want to really get that recovery going right off the bat. Like if it's just a long, easy run, like, yeah, you're tired and yeah, you, you've, you've done a little bit of damage to your, you know, you, you've worked your body, but it's not like you've beat, beat yourself to, to all kinds of hell where you need to get all this fuel in right away. Like, so my, my take for whatever it's worth, and you asked my expert opinion, so I'll give it to you. Um, listen to your body, you know, kind of like I just said to Shannon, like if you're hungry, you gotta, you gotta eat. But if you're not hungry right after that long run, I mean, if you don't feel like eating, don't eat. Like eventually you're probably going to be hungry, right? Maybe it's the next day. Maybe it's later that day, depending on what time you ran, whatever, you know, when you're hungry, eat and try to eat, you know, kind of healthy food based on whatever your dietary preferences are and things like that. But like, you know, as low, low processed food, non-processed food, um, 
and and trust that like your body knows what it needs more so than like like nutrition science which i'm not here to dog on nutrition science but like i know i've said this before like you know when we were when we were chasing antelope across the serengeti like you know we didn't we didn't kill the ant like i know we killed the antelope and like dug in but it wasn't like oh we this this liver this fresh liver from the the, the antelope you know, it doesn't have, it doesn't have the proper, you know, carbs to fat to new to protein ratio. So it's not, it's not the ideal recovery food. Like we, we, we ate what we, what we wanted to eat, you know? And if we, if we chase an antelope for, for all day and didn't kill it, you know, it wasn't like, well, tomorrow we can't chase the antelope because we didn't get the proper nutrition after that, that six hour long run persistence, persistence hunt. Like our bodies just like they adapt, they, they, they make do. Um, so I kind of feel like that's the same thing for us now, you know, in modern, modern life, where like you can go run for three or four hours. And if you're not hungry, like your body physiologically is, is taking care of other needs right now. And eventually you're going to be hungry when you're hungry, put some food in your, in your body. Right? Like for me, it's usually like, I usually kind of graze a little bit after my long run, but the next day I eat all the things. And I'm sure that's just a matter of like, my body is kind of, you know, ready to ready to refuel. And so I refuel and like, I don't know, is it optimal? I mean, maybe, maybe not. Have I noticed a, a deficit? No. So trust your body. If you, if your body's telling you that, that you're hungry, eat. And, and if your body's not telling you you're hungry, you know, maybe you have a little something, you know, I'm going to have some coffee. Maybe I'll put some butter in it or, you know, hit it up with, with some amino co or something like that. More on that in a moment. Um, just to get a little bit of nutrients in there, but like, I'm not, I'm not sitting down for this well formulated recovery meal. Cause like, I'm not hungry. So I don't eat. Hard to make it more complicated than that, as far as I am concerned. So thank you for the question, Milady. Next up, Cole going for his introductory hat trick of questions. He's asked a question here or there, but never gone for three, I don't think, until today. First one, for an average Joe, how effective is the AminoCo supplements? Is it worth the investment? Can you tell any difference in performance? So Cole, trying to get me get me in trouble with the with the sponsors here or whatever. I mean, I guess technically they're not a sponsor anymore. We still have a relationship there, though. So if you want to get some AminoCo, if after this answer you're like, yes, I want that, it's no longer AminoCo.com slash DizRuns. It's DizRuns.com slash AminoCo. I know, confusing. Um, logistics, reasons, yada, yada, yada. Still still get the discount. Uh, DizRuns will save you, what, what do we say, 30%. Um, so that's still there. But so so here's here's the, here's the, the, the truth, right? Like, I think AminoCo is a good supplement. If I didn't think it was good supplementation, if it didn't, if it didn't tick some good boxes, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have taken them on as a sponsor, right? Like, I mean, that's just, I know everybody says that, but like, I've said no to sponsors before. Uh, cause like quite frankly, not pulling back the curtain all the way, but like AminoCo sponsor money, wasn't game changing money, right? Like it is, we didn't, we didn't, uh, you know, buy a, buy a house in the Hamptons with the AminoCo sponsor money. Right. So like, like. Was it, it was a nice little boost. Sure. Did, was it a game changer? Not at all. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to y'all for what in the grand scheme of things, relatively insignificant amount of money just to, just to shill a product that I didn't believe in. Like, no, 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 no. That's not how that's going to work. So, you know, is, is it effective? Is, is it a good supplement? Sure. Is it light years better than other similar supplements out there? Whether we're talking about the pre-workouts of different other types of pre-workouts that are out there. Is it light years better than other types of recovery shakes and things like that? I mean, I don't, I probably not. Um, you know, are you going to, are you going to take it and be like, Oh my God, I feel, I feel absolutely like, like, this is like amazing. Like I've never felt like this before. 
after, you know, I took this, I took the, the, the pre-workout blend or whatever the, the, the perform blend. Uh, I feel like, I feel like, you know, I could run for, for hours and days and months and years and never have to like, no, no. Does it give you a little boost? Does it give a little pick me up? Sure. Would some people say that you get a little pick me up from a cup of coffee? Probably. You know, would some people say you get a little pick me up from a Mountain Dew before I run? Probably. You know, it's, it's just a different option that maybe that, that may or may not you care about. You know, is it a bunch of sugar? No. Is it a bunch of amino acids? Yes. Like, like, you know, there's, there's some, there's some, some differences and some nuances that I do think, again, wouldn't have, wouldn't have had them on the show as a, as a sponsor, but I didn't think that they were, they were useful and worth it. Um, they're not cheap. You know, I, you know, I recognize that. Um, I guess, I guess, I guess the ultimate answer is, am I, you know, now, now that they're not a, a proper sponsor of the show, am I going to, am I going to spend my money on amino cope supplements? Probably not. Um, cause, I, cause I'm going to drink the coffee. <laughs> like, like I like coffee better than I like a pre-workout drink. Right. I like, I like the protein shakes that I take that like, like, and, and this isn't a dig on their stuff. It's just like, it's, it's, it's a good supplement, good, clean ingredients. Um, but there's a lot of good options out there that are in that same type of space, you know? So, so I, I, I'm not saying against it, but I'm not saying that like, it's not a game changer. Like it's not, it's not a, it's not a, a massive, you know, it's not a performance enhancing drug. It's, it's supplementation that helps to fill in the gaps of good nutrition and good exercise habits. It does, it, it, it delivers as advertised. Um, and they didn't pay for this advertisement, but you asked the question, so I'll give it to you. It delivers, it delivers on those promises. Um, but it's not some, you know, Oh, it's not that it's not that, um, question number two from my man, Cole, I don't normally pay attention to my Garmin watch telling me it takes 63 hours to recover or that I should take 63 hours off to recover after a run. Should I, I mean, no, <laughs> no, if we're, if we're not going to listen to, uh, like, I don't know. So, so here's the thing, right? Like, like on the one hand, like I, I, I hate being like, Oh, the Garmin just said that this run was unproductive and like, and dogging on it there. But now, now we're going to treat it as gospel. Like, no, but like, how are you feeling? Right? Like, like if you just did a, a really hard workout or a really massive effort, long run type of thing, and it's going to tell you to take, you know, 36 hours for full recovery. Like it doesn't mean that you necessarily need to take 36 hours off or 63 hours off or however many hours it says, but like, you know, maybe that's a good sign to like, treat tomorrow as a rest day, treat tomorrow as a recovery day, go for a walk. Um, keep, keep a real, real short, easy run. Ultimately though, like listen to your body, right? Like that's, that's the ultimate, like don't rely on your watch to tell you when it's okay to run or not run. Like how does your body feel? Do you feel like you're wrecked? Well, probably don't go out and hammer another, another run today, right? Like, like that's a good sign that you do need to rest. You do need to recover. But if you're, if you're feeling okay, maybe a little bit stiff, but like some movement's going to help. We'll go out and run, run nice and easy. Keep it short. Get that blood flow going, and even though your watch is telling you no, don't run today. Like, yeah, I mean, it's probably okay, but you know, trust trust what your body's telling you, um, especially when it comes to recovery, more so than what your watch is telling you for sure. Um, last but not least, from Cole, is there anything I can do while running my normal runs to increase my anaerobic levels without killing myself? Uh, no, no, uh, and quite frankly, here's here's a hot take for you, unpopular opinion that that is pretty well backed up by exercise physiology, there's not a whole lot that you can do to improve your anaerobic levels, even while killing yourself during a, a normal run. Like we hammer and like, you might improve your anaerobic fitness a little bit, but guess what? Like, like not 
not a massive effort or not a massive amount. And also, oh, by the way, you know, when we're talking about running half marathons and marathons and 5Ks and ultras, like your anaerobic fitness really doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter that much. Maybe a little bit towards the end. But like, that's why I talk about aerobic base all the time. That's why I would talk about running easy all the time. Cause that's, that's the fitness that moves the needle for our race goals. So unless you're, unless you're training for a hundred meter dash and maybe you are Cole, in which case, yeah, I mean, you might want to do some, some good hard runs once in a while, you know, some, some more hard sprint workouts, but you know, you're not going to improve your anaerobic fitness. You're not going to, your, your Garmin isn't going to tell you that we made a massive anaerobic gain today during a normal easy run, because that's the, it's not, that's not how that works. Um, and quite frankly, it's not something that most of us, certainly not me, I'm not going to say you Cole, but certainly not me need to be concerned about. Like, I don't care what my anaerobic fitness is. I don't want to be anaerobic most of the time. Like even on a race day, even when I'm hammering, you know, when I hammered my 10 miler, like, I mean, yes, I was, I was doing some anaerobic work. I was, I was definitely doing anaerobic work that day, but I was still the bulk of my bulk of my energy was coming aerobically from that run. I was out there for 70 freaking minutes. Of course I was, I was breathing oxygen for 70 minutes. I didn't hold my breath which is ultimate anaerobic work. Right. So like, um, so, so, you know, the reason I was able to do that, not to make it about me, but to also make it about me as per usual was because my anaerobic fitness game was strong and my anaerobic fitness game was just, it was along for the ride. And, you know, I, I work it every once in a while, but like not very often because it doesn't move the needle. It doesn't move the needle. So get out there, hammer it once in a while. Sure. Go for it. But that's, that's the only way to improve your anaerobic fitness at all. Absolutely. Uh, but thanks for the questions, my friend. Hope things are well in Alabama. Uh, last but not least, final question, which, which you know, first-time questioner. Interesting that that's the final question. Fun how that works out. But thanks for the question this month, Steve. Uh, first-time first questioner, Steve asks, but here goes. I've been, uh, I've been heart rate training for a few months now, using a chest strap and whatnot. While doing intervals, I set my alert for zone two and notice that throughout the repeats, my zone two pace progressively slows down. I assume it's probably normal given that I get tired, but wondering if the goal is to actually maintain a pace throughout my harder intervals or just ignore it. Love the show, Danny. Well, thank you. Thank you for the kind words, Steve. Thank you for uh, taking the time to ask a question for the first time. Um, and yes, to the first part of, of the question, what your experience is absolutely normal. I believe it's called like, like, um, accumulated fatigue or accumulated. There's some, there's some technical term for it, but basically like the longer you're running, like, the, the heart rate increases at the same pace. So if, if you set yourself up on a treadmill and you're just running at whatever pace, you're running at eight minute pace or 10 minute pace or 12 minute pace, it doesn't matter. And you run that pace for an hour, like your heart rate is going to gradually increase for that whole hour. It's going to start out slow. And as, as you continue to run, fatigue builds up and body heat starts to build up. And, and all of these factors, like your heart rate is going to keep going up during the course of, of your run even though the pace stays exactly the same. So clearly that's, that's, that, I mean, that's a thing. That's the physiological that happens. Um, but when it comes to heart rate training, we're not worried about maintaining the steady pace throughout the, throughout the workout, throughout the harder intervals. Like we're, we're if the focus of the run is a heart rate training effort, does it stay in that, that aerobic level of effort? We want to stay there, whatever that does to the pace. So it's, it's, so if I'm understanding your question correctly, Steve, um, when that alert goes off in zone two, you're getting to the top end of zone two, back it off. Whether that means to start walking, slow down your run, whatever you want to keep your heart rate in that zone two zone. Um, now if it's a go hard day, then it's a go hard day, but otherwise, yeah, the pace is going to slow down. That's okay. That's not what we're concerned about. We're concerned about keeping the heart rate where it's at. And over time that as your fitness continues to improve, what you'll see is you might still see your pace get slower every interval, 
But what you'll notice is that the pace is faster from the beginning. So maybe right now you're, you know, whatever, I'm making up numbers, right? Maybe, maybe right now the, the pace is 10 minute pace. And then by the time you get to the end of the workout, you're at 1040 pace because you've had to slow down to keep your heart rate in check. Well, over time, that'll be start off at 930 pace and end up at, you know, whatever, 1015 pace. So it's still 45 seconds slower from the first to the last, um, to keep your heart rate in the zone but the overall pace has increased and then eventually it gets even faster and even faster. Or maybe, maybe you start to, to close that gap a little bit because the recovery in, in between your heart rate level comes down quicker because it's, it's, there's more aerobic fitness that's built up. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you start off at nine thirty pace and then you're right there in the zone. And by the time the workout finishes, you the, that final repeat, you're at, you know, whatever nine fifty pace. So you've, you've still gotten a little bit slower, but the amount of slowdown has, has decreased because your aerobic system's getting stronger. Your aerobic base is getting, getting more solid. Um, and that's, that's, that's what we're going for with heart rate training. So I'm glad you've, you've bought in. I'm glad that it, it's, uh, that, that you're sticking to it. And of course, any other questions that you have on it, my friend, I could talk about heart rate training all day. As many of you know, as many of you have had your ears gloss over while, while listening to me talk about heart rate training, uh, but happy to ask, answer those questions for you along the way, Steve, but thank you for, for asking a question for the first time. And thank you for being the final question of this month's Q and a. So there we go. That's that. Um, hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully a couple of those answers made some sense and were useful to you. As always, if you have further questions, want further clarification on anything we talked about today, uh, feel free to reach out at Diz runs on Twitter or X or whatever it's called at Diz runs on Instagram and threads or whatever those things are called. Um, Diz runs at gmail.com. If you want to shoot me an email and uh, disruns.com slash 1191 slash one one nine one. I'll get you back to the show notes for today. Of course, we'll have all of the uh, the answers in meme and GIF form, as well as some various links and bits and bobs that might be useful for you. But there's also that comment section at the bottom of the page if you want to continue the conversation there. Always appreciate when we do that. We have that, that back and forth, and uh, especially when I can maybe make my answers more clearly. Or you can tell me what I got wrong. That's, I'll take that feedback as well. Um, but those are all the places as per usual. At Dizruns on the socials, Dizruns at gmail.com, Dizruns.com slash 1191 for today. Uh, if you want to get a question asked in the future, you know, maybe be like Steve, get your first ever Q&A question answered on the podcast. If you're not part of the Facebook group, that's the best way to get your question included in the mix. Dizruns.com slash Facebook or just search for the Dizruns tribe the next time you're on Facebook. Join the party. Let's have some fun. And when I put that post out, this is what are your questions this month? Ask your questions just like Steve did, just like everybody else did. And uh, we'll get them answered for you. It's really, it really is that simple. It really is that simple. Anyway, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, y'all. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the attention. Thanks for the questions this month. And until next time, y'all be well. Take care. We'll talk soon. Later, y'all.